Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode will cover the in-the-weeds details, character rankings, screen time, who's new, who's meeting each other for the first time, featured locations, and of course, as always, coffee, pie, and donuts. And definitely check out the illustrated companion that goes with this episode on my site. It's linked below. And I think as you're hearing these sort of uh, facts listed off, it's fun to have a visual to go with it. It complements the audio pretty well, I think. The characters introduced in this episode are Gordon Cole, Hank Jennings, the parole board, Midge Loomer, the receptionist, and uh, Hawk's buddy who high-fives him at the uh, veterinary clinic. And, of course, the llama and the tennis players. Can't forget them. We hear Montana's voice in Invitation to Love, but we don't see him. This is the only character we haven't uh, viewed yet. We've seen the twins, their father, and the Nebishi guy who's actually one of the twins' husbands. And we learn Philip Gerard's name for the first time, having already met him as both a real-world person and as a dream figure. On the other hand, we learn Waldo Lightecker's name, Waldo, sorry, we learn Waldo the Bird's name without meeting him. And uh, we also learn uh, Dr. Lidecker's name without meeting him. Now, the reason that I just accidentally said Waldo Lidecker, I guess this is a good point to bring this up. Waldo Lidecker is a character in the movie Laura, which is a murder mystery that in some ways inspired, you know, the figure of Laura Palmer. And uh, it's, it's funny. So they took the name and they split it in two so that they could have a winking reference in this episode. Lidecker the veterinarian and Waldo the bird. We hear Ben speaking on the phone to an Icelander, but we don't hear the other guy's voice. So that's sort of a character established off screen. And we hear about a woman in Cooper's past, but don't get her name, don't get anything about her. So that's about as close as we get to a character introduction in that, in that situation. Here are the character, first-time character interactions. Um, I'm no longer going to distinguish Cooper from the other ones because he's pretty well integrated into the town. So it's not worth noting, you know, oh, Cooper met all these people for the first time as opposed to everybody else. But the characters who meet each other for the first time, big ones are James and Maddie getting introduced and also Gerard with Cooper, Harry, and Andy. It's the first time that uh, Gerard is aware of, of Hawk, but of course Hawk saw him in the hospital. So, you know, it's not the first time for Hawk really uh, being in the same place as him, at least. Also, uh, Cooper meets Midge, the receptionist. Ben meets uh, Bernie's corpse, you know, I guess you could say. And Maddie and Harry interact for the first time, aside from uh, being in the same space at the funeral. Uh, it's our, it's also our first time seeing Maddie and Donna together other than the funeral. They're at the funeral and um, now they're at both where Sarah's being questioned at the house. But in both cases, they don't interact at all. These are characters who are sharing space, but we don't know how they get along or don't. Bernie is the first character to die on the show uh, itself. The first one to, you know, that we know alive and now we know dead. And he's probably the fourth dead character, including Andrew, Teresa, and Laura, people who are important to the plot in some way or another, and, but were dead from before the first moment the pilot began. Like, Laura Palmer has always been dead on Twin Peaks. You know, it begins with her corpse washing up on shore. So, Bernard, Renault, uh, we hardly knew ye. Farewell. Let's rank the characters on this episode in terms of screen time. Number 10 is Hawk, with about four minutes. Diane Shapiro. PhD Brandeis. Number nine is Shelley with about four minutes. I've got one man too many in my life, and I'm married to him. Number eight is Norma with about five minutes. Two men apiece, and we don't know what to do with any of the four of them. Number seven is Audrey with about five minutes. I've been doing some research. 
In real life, there is no algebra. A little less than some recent episodes, I think. Number six is Donna with about six minutes. Maybe you should run away and join the circus. Number five is Ben with about seven minutes. I'm going to give little Elvis a bath. He's involved with a lot of different stories at this point. Number four is Andy with about seven minutes. And I don't know why she's doing what she's doing. Big episode for him because of all the police work, I guess. Number three is Laura with about seven minutes. You know, I'm going to catch a glimpse of her out of the corner of my eye. Sometimes it's like I really do see her. James, listen. We're going to find out who killed her. And this is the first episode where none of that is on screen in any fashion. It's just people her being the focus of conversation and things and action going on. Number two is Cooper with about 14 minutes. Gentlemen, when two separate events occur simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention. So he's actually not the lead in this episode. Number one is Harry with about 15 minutes. Cooper, I think you'd be afraid to go to sleep at night. So I think that's due to uh, Josie the call to Josie at the end, and also him standing there and listening to Lucy give her whole invitation to love spiel. Uh, that makes up for the scene with Jacoby, where Cooper's the only one in the room for a little while. Ultimately, Harry has the edge. In this episode, for the first time, Andy tops the supporting cast after the uh, top three characters of Cooper, Harry, and Laura. And this is Cooper and Harry and Laura's fifth episode with over five minutes. So every episode so far uh, of the series. They've had over five minutes, uh, over 10 minutes in the case of the pilot. This is Donna's fourth time hitting that mark and Ben's and Audrey's third. And it's Andy's enormous first time getting over five minutes. Ed, Hawk, and Albert uh, all had over five in the previous episode, but they're gone now. Uh, Ed and Albert aren't even uh, in this episode, actually. Kind of surprising Ed's out of here. In terms of successive episodes with prominent screen time, so five minutes or more, but in a row, uh, Cooper, Laura, and Harry, obviously, with all uh, all the episodes. Uh, but also, Audrey and Ben have now had over five minutes for four episodes in a row. So that's quite a streak. Since the episode after the pilot, they've been on fire. Uh, but this episode ends Hawk's streak of two in a row. He uh, loses his screen time perch in this one. Collectively, the top ten characters in the show so far, so adding all of the screen time in all the episodes, number one is Cooper, number two is Laura, three is Harry, four is Donna, Bobby is fifth, and then it's Audrey, Ben, James, Hawk, and rounding out the top ten is Ed. Audrey and Ben at this point have jumped up a spot. As I said, they've been on fire, so they are moving up there in terms of prominent characters, and James slips down a couple spots. Last few episodes, he just hasn't been as prominent as he was at first. In terms of milestones, at this point, Bobby has hit a half hour of screen time. Andy, Shelley, and Josie, and Lucy are all at a 15 minutes. Pete, Leo, Norma, and Catherine have reached 10 minutes total screen time since the beginning of the pilot, and Maddie has already reached five after a couple episodes. I almost forgot. In fact, I actually did forget. I came back and added this back to the podcast, not just ignored during the original patron recording, but when I was releasing it publicly, uh, that I do actually want to list off characters who disappear after four more episodes the same way that I did with the storylines that did that and like you're about to hear with the locations uh, I, I like doing this in a way because it reminds us how far we've come like when I talk about some of these characters it's gonna be like oh yeah wow I haven't seen them in a while like the show evolves so much as it goes along that we it's not like normal shows I think where you think Oh, three or four episodes ago. That was, you know, not that long ago. It's like so much happens in between. At the same time, funnily enough, the episodes are one day at a time thus far. So it's like the pilot was only three days ago, yet it seems so long ago and in so many ways. So 
there are a ton of characters from the pilot that this is the case for. I think it's safe to say non-spoilery. You'll never see this many characters disappearing again. So let's list off all the characters we met in the pilot uh, who you don't see, or well, I should say who you haven't seen since. Uh, we may see some of these again, but they've disappeared for the moment. Uh, and I will also add my illustrated companion has a collage picture of all the characters. They're going to probably look kind of small. You might want to click on the image and enlarge it and scroll around if you want a visual reminder of who some of these people are. So here's who we've got who we uh, haven't seen since that episode. I'm going to try to list them off in the order that they appear in that episode. So the first one will be the one we haven't seen in the longest. And there are, of course, featured extras, random extras, people who are notable. I think I've got all the people who have dialogue, though. We have Max Hartman, the football coach, Sven Jorgensen, the Norwegian investor, the Norwegian translator, Julie the concierge, Heidi the waitress, the boogie kid at the high school. That's what I call the kid who dances backwards through the corridor. Mrs. Jackson, the high school principal's secretary. Margaret Honeycutt, the homeroom teacher the state trooper in the high school, uh, the screaming girl in the courtyard, George Wolchek, the high school principal who cries over the intercom. Seems like he might be a more important character, but we just haven't spent much time at the high school lately. Janice Hogan, the Palmer neighbor. Fred Truax, the fired mill worker, who Catherine asks his name and says, you're fired. The railway switchman. Dr. Shelby, the uh, doctor who leads Cooper and Harry to Renette and seems a little concerned about his methods. Uh, another character who seemed to have a presence, but then haven't seen since. Jim, the morgue attendant. Gilman White, the lawyer for Bobby. Bob, the great northern employee, who uh, Audrey mocks, mocks saying, okay, Bob, okay, Bob, over and over. Nurse Greta, the caretaker for Johnny. Uh, Alice Brady, the bank employee, who shows them Laura's safety deposit box. Mayor Dwayne Milford, mayor of the town, who the old man at the town meeting who's just totally disappeared since then. Harriet Hayward, Donna's sister, who writes the poem. That's an odd character to disappear. A sister of one of the stars of the show, even though we've seen the family a lot. Odd. Scotty, the wonderful world biker at the roadhouse. The one who says, oh, what a wonderful world. Has a sort of shaggy haircut. And yeah, that's it. Because we I was going to say Joey Paulson, the, the biker, but we saw him in the Bookhouse Boys episode last time. So he did return before he hit that four-episode cutoff. So all those characters, that's uh, let me count them up real quick. I think that's 22 characters gone. Who of them will we see again, if any? That's a fun thing to contemplate. Write your fan fiction about what's going on with these characters off screen. Here are the locations and what happens there. The Blue Pine Lodge, we visit the kitchen slash living room and the study. Harry calls Josie, and uh, Josie has a conversation with Pete, and then Hank calls Josie. The sheriff's station, we're in the reception area, the conference room, and a new place within there, the firing range, which is a cool little area. We have Lucy talking the soap opera early on. We have Cooper uh, interviewing Jacoby, Cole calling Gordon Cole, um, getting the Bob sketch, hearing from Hawk that he's found the one-armed man, uh, returning after the motel and the uh, veterinarian's clinic with all these files. We have Lucy and Andy talking briefly around a supply closet. Uh, that's a, I guess you could call that a location in a location. We saw it briefly in episode one where she has all the donuts stocked up. And finally, we have the firing range scene with, uh, there's all these like Christmas decorations 
around this area. It's this cool, like it look. I keep saying it's like downstairs because it looks like a basement, but it's, I don't think so. They walk like directly from the hallway. My guess is it's like a part of the soundstage that they dressed up uh, without a little bit, but leaving it kind of looking like a soundstage. I like, I, I like it. It's, it's really cool. Uh, to get this, like, I just love how this episode just expands space. And we got to credit that not just to Hunter, but to Engels, because he wrote these locations in, you know. And finally, we have uh, the scene of them all looking through the files in the uh, conference room. So a lot takes place at the sheriff's station this episode. I think that's the number one location. For the Palmer house, we have Sarah looking at the sketch and Leland mocking her. We have nothing at the Briggs house. At the high school, we only visit the bathroom, but this is the first we've seen of the high school after a three-episode break. So finally getting back to the the, the teenage world, uh, you know, their their natural milieu, their natural habitat. We have the Don on Audrey scene there, obviously. For the Great Northern, we visit Ben's office. Ben calls Jerry from the exercise bike and then talks to Audrey and then gets a call from Leo. Double R Diner, we have Norma and Shelley's scene together. James calls Donna and then talks to Maddie and then Norma hears about Hank. It's all kind of one scene. So we're getting a lot of one scenes at various locations other than the sheriff's station. For the Johnson house, same thing. We have a scene with Shelley and Bobby together. For the John C. Calhoun Memorial Hospital, nothing this episode. Nothing at Big Ed's Gas Farmer house. And nothing at the train car for the second episode in a row. There's nothing at Sparkwood in 21. Nothing for the second episode in a row at the Hayward house. We don't visit them. Ah, I take that back. I'm wrong. We do have a, we do have a visit to the Hayward house. We have... a. Audrey, uh, sorry, Donna on the phone with James and Doc is futzing around in the kitchen in the background or in the dining room coming from the kitchen asking for help. Send James over. SOS. SOS. We have nothing at the roadhouse. And after a one episode break, we return to the woods for Leo and Ben scene. And then we kind of transition, go down a river with music playing and we see Donna and James. And that transition is necessary because otherwise it would be like, wait, are they right next to each other in the woods? Like it's two wood scenes back to back, which is nice after that break to get back to the woods. It feels like such a vital part of Twin Peaks. And we got nothing from that mountaintop where James was sitting looking out over the valley. Nothing for the third episode in a row. And that's a cool location. So hopefully we get to go back there at some point. That's where they had the picnic. For the episodes, um, or sorry, for the locations that were introduced in episode one, pretty much almost nothing. We get uh, nothing for the third episode in a row for the random romantic spot where he has that flashback of Laura. Same thing, hardware store, nothing for three episodes. And Jacoby's office, we haven't seen anything of there for three episodes. So if these go for another episode without any sight of them, I'm going to put them in the dormant location list. However, after a two-episode break, we do revisit the Timber Falls Motel, of course. Josie's spying there, Catherine and Ben plot in their room, and the cops question Gerard in another room. So we get two different rooms and a parking lot there. And Hawk sees Josie's tracks. For the episode two locations, it's a bust. Nothing for the Canadian Border Waterway, One-Eyed Jacks, and the Red Room. Uh, second episode in a row for the Waterway and, and One-Eyed Jacks. And same thing for episode three. So all these locations are being introduced in new episodes, and then we're not going back to them, which is interesting. We're revisiting most of the pilot locations, but these other ones, not so much. So episode three, nothing for the Black Lake Cemetery, the Bookhouse, or that random payphone where Jacques called from. Although we see James use a payphone, but it's in a diner. And we got some new locations in this episode. Now, will these be the same? Will we do the same thing we did those, with those others where we see them here and we don't see them again? We'll have to wait and find out. But the first is the state prison. That's where Norma meets Hank. Hank has his hearing, and then he calls Josie from. We have Lidecker's Veterinary Clinic. We get an outside and an inside of this. Again, like many uh, locations this episode. 
And inside there's like a huge fire hydrant in one corner, which is cool. And of course there's the llama and the sign outside is a dog, a cat and silhouette. And it says aid to the beast incarnate, which is an ominous sign for a veterinary clinic. For the one-stop gas station, that's right next door to the veterinary clinic. This is the convenience store that uh, reminds Cooper of his dream. We stay outside of this place. We never get to go in, which is nice. Uh, you can kind of dream of it. Maybe we'll get to see it in an upcoming location. Actually, that's funny I said that. I, I would just meant that as an offhand comment. Like, you know, it's it's kind of dreamy to think of a place that we've seen the outside of in Twin Peaks and not gone inside. But, of course, Cooper literally did see it in a dream. We start on the gas aspect with the, the gas pumps and the Indian head on them. But uh, then we pull out, we see it's a convenience store as well. And it has a second story, so there is a room above this convenience store, unless it's just really tall. It could be that, too. It could just have high ceilings, but I don't think so. I think a convenience store probably, you know, is the first floor, and then there is a room above it. But they don't go up there, which is interesting. Why not? You know, you'd think Cooper would want to find, hey, could we look up around? Uh, we're investigating something, and maybe that'll be a follow-up. There are lots of stone and wood buildings, I've noticed in all these locations, especially these ones they're shooting in California. So they're obviously looking for like a certain type of rustic charm, I guess you could say, to, to locations they're using. But they don't want it to be too deserty or too suburban or urban, all of which are can be the case in L.A. So they're finding these kind of wooded areas where they get lots of little trees and it looks like, okay, this could pass for Washington. At Jacques' apartment, the that's the last location we're introduced to in this episode. We have a tennis court outside. There's that cool corridor down the side where Bobby runs down. You know, you can tell if you th if you really think about it, this is a very Southern California type of location. There's a lot of sort of like apartment buildings like this where you pull off the road and you go down a little side alley and kind of pull into a parking lot behind and they're all on a hill like this you can see it's on some sort of hill where bobby's running up the corridor i wonder if this location was chosen because there's some pine trees in the background you know rather than palms it's just funny to think of this all it's this northwestern town but just off screen there's always all these palm trees in every shot and uh, harry may called josie i wonder if he calls her from the bedroom because there's this like punctured door behind him like did they have to kick in a bedroom door too i doubt it because who locks their bedroom inside of their house when it's locked but they do kick in the main door and these are the locations that have gone dormant we haven't seen them for more than three episodes the packard sawmill the town hall and the road into town nothing since the pilot we haven't seen the bank since the pilot uh, with them opening the safety deposit box on the desk and the deer head lying there. And Renette's bridge, too, of course. No, no, you don't understand. They're organized alphabetically in the names of the pet. We're going to need some more coffee. Uh, for coffee, pie, and donuts, and of course our bonus food and drink, we have coffee or tea in some sort of silver decanter at the Palmer's. Uh, Lucy asks Andy, will you be having coffee, Deputy Brennan? Cooper has a coffee mug while he's talking to Jacoby. And uh, when he finds out that all the files are alphabetical, he says, we're going to need some more coffee. And then all three are drinking coffee as they go through the files. And uh, that's Hawk, Andy, and, um, or sorry, ha uh, Andy, Harry, and uh, Cooper. There are no pie or donuts, it seems, at all in this episode. I think this is the first coffee-only episode. Although they're, you know, of course there's coffee and pie at the diner, but the pie is just like in its usual glass case or on somebody's plate kind of hidden away. It's not the focus of the scene in any way. For the bonus food and drink, we have Catherine and Ben drinking white wine. Catherine is famished, and she says, I suppose room service is too much to expect from this rusticated mildew farm. And Ben makes a joke about, you know, saying she's hungry, and that somehow the conversation segues into the mill burning down, and he says, the headline, we, we're not looking for the headline, 
giant weenie roast in the woods. We see Maddie picking up food at the diner for the Palmer family and uh, talking about how they can't cook for themselves. You know, she needs to take care of them, but she can't cook either. So this is why she gets the food here. And when uh, Doc Hayward's on the phone with uh, James, or I'm sorry, when Donna's on the phone with James, Doc Hayward's yelling out in the background, whoever heard of diet lasagna, which is a great little line. And finally, at the end, Josie has made a turkey sandwich for Pete, and she puts mayo on it since Catherine's in bed. Apparently, she doesn't let Pete eat mayo, but since she's not around, he's going to sneak it. So he's a little co-conspirator with Josie there. As far as smoking goes, we see Audrey smoking in the bathroom and uh, she throws her cigarette in the sink and Donna kind of chuckles and extinguishes the cigarette for her. There's almost this idea of Audrey as the mischievous imp and Donna as the more responsible one that we got a glimpse of in the pilot. I think they've only reacted two times so far. First, when they meet at the locker room in the pilot and then in the a uh, couple episodes ago when they're in the diner. So every couple episodes, they're getting scenes together. And uh, of course, Audrey is a smoker and Donna is not. We see Leo smoking in the woods, just to, you know, creates sort of a noirish image. And then Ben opens up a cigar, throws the plastic onto the forest floor, and bites off the tip and spits it out. So if he's worried about Leo drawing attention, he's, he's leaving prints of himself all over a murder scene, basically. Uh, n- I credit another podcast for pointing that out. I didn't even think of it. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to support it, become a patron on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow, we finish our week on Season 1, Episode 5 by talking about the fans, the critics, what they said about it at the time, and what I've said about it over the years. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.